When we're silent and alone, transformation can't happen. The world isn't going to change when we keep our stories to ourselves, when we keep our brilliance to ourselves. But once we speak it, once we take that risk to speak it, that's how we start untying the knot and finding that we're not alone. And the minute we're not alone, anything is possible. The minute we know we're not alone, we can do anything. I'm Julie Clare, and this is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel. Artists and creative professionals thrive in unconventionality. They reinvent themselves and find their way through impossible situations. Here, we get to have deep dive conversations on their adventures. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is public speaking coach and trainer, Johanna Walker. I personally know Johanna and have experienced some of her work and her speaking coaching work and can't speak highly enough of who she is on and off the stage and how she helps so many of us step into our truth and our power with our voice. Um, Johanna shares on her website that the first time she truly connected with an audience is when she read aloud a poem she'd written in her mid-20s somewhere. She was astonished by the sensation of hearing her voice land on the ears and hearts of the people in the audience. And that experience unleashed a body of onstage work spanning over 20 years, including performing at poetry slams, creating solo theater pieces, and a career helping others find their voices. She has worked with adolescent girls, incarcerated women, senior adults, corporate CEOs, fledgling entrepreneurs, TEDx speakers, and passionate change makers. Welcome to Creative at the Wheel, Johanna. Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we have our time together. And I want to open up yes. with the word voice. Um, you know, I have a background as a singer-songwriter when I was a younger gal. Um, but what is voice to you when you hear that word, when you work with voice? Tell us your, your, your sense of voice. Well, it's so many things. I always say your voice is your expression of your human truth. That when you speak, you're sharing the truth of your how you make meaning, how you make sense of the world. And I work mostly mostly with entrepreneurs, with coaches and consultants. I help them build talks and get in front of their audiences and share their message, share their genius, and use their voice. And so often with the people I'm working with, we find, you know, it's like they come to me to help craft a talk. But once we start digging into what's in the voice, what's in their story, and they start really stepping up to tell their story and to, to be real and to share their humanity in a public way on a stage, we get after some pretty deep stuff. You know, a lot of people have a lot tied up in their voice. Because, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just that as, as young ones, we weren't, for most of us, even from our most well-intentioned parents, most of us didn't get support to really express our full human truth through our voice. So we've, you know, we got trained to fit into this box and behave this particular way and show up one particular way in this situation. And, and so the, the, the depth and breadth and, and humanity in our voice has gotten kind of locked up. And once we start freeing that and giving permission for all of it to be in the room, oh my gosh, you know, it, it, it just, it just opens a door for so much possibility. There's so much power, so much power we have in our voices. I love hearing this. I also want to ask you right at the beginning here, when you were say 10, 12, 13 years old, you're in school and you had to go in front, you know, of the auditorium or whatever and accept your award or say roll call or something. What was your relationship to your voice growing up? Well, it's interesting because that actually wasn't, I was pretty good at getting in front of the room and like reading the report I had written or at church, I can remember sometimes reading a Bible passage or I, I was learning sign language. So I would speak, I would do sign interpretations to some of the hymns. And I actually was pretty comfortable in front of the room. For me, because what happened is when I was in front of the room, I had permission to speak. Somebody has said, Johanna, it's your turn to speak. Everybody's listening. And then I could speak. And it wasn't like off the cuff leading the room or anything, but I could read a poem or read a story or read something. I could be in front of the room with comfort. For me, it was terrifying if I ever had to share my thinking. Speaking in, raising my hand in class, 
never. Serious? Oh my God, never, never, never raised my hand. And if a teacher called on me, I would just like hold my breath until they moved on to the next person. You know, and I was being in a being at a in a social situation, sitting down at the cafeteria table, terrified. I was terrified. But if the teacher said, "Okay, Johanna, it's your turn. Get in front of the room and read your report," I could do that. I had poise. I had presence. I was able to get. So it's kind of the opposite of a lot of people. That's but amazing think- to hear that. I'm so glad I asked. I'm actually surprised. Yeah, yeah. I, I am surprised. So there is a disconnect between personal, would you say personal expression? Uh, you said thinking, even sharing your thinking was difficult, right? When, when did this, and tell me, how did this go? Didn't you become an actress or how did, how, what, what was the story yeah. with your voice? How did you, I, you know, through? well, I, when I was a young one, I like, I would go sometimes for days without speaking. I can remember standing at the bus stop one day at the end of school and counting on my hand, one, two, three, four, five. Yep, that's five days where I didn't say a word. I would go to school and not say a word. So I was very, very quiet, very terrified of speaking. My job was to get the right answer. And if I wasn't 100% sure that I had the right answer, I didn't speak. So, you know, I would go for days without speaking. In college, I made this self-portrait. I had my face in one corner. It's like an 18 by 24 piece of paper. I had my face in one corner. And then a huge talk bubble that filled the space. And in the center of the talk bubble, in tiny letters, it said, I have nothing to say. So this was the story that I believed to be true about myself. And I carried that story like a torch I have nothing to say. And it was really through storytelling that I, like, I didn't feel smart. I wasn't a great reader. I probably had some learning disability that was undiagnosed because I wasn't a great reader. I had a hard time paying attention, paying attention in school. So I felt really stupid. I felt really stupid. I couldn't engage in conversation. I couldn't raise my hand and share in the classroom So I just felt stupid and I didn't think I had anything to say. And it was really through storytelling. When I started telling my stories, initially through poetry, when I started telling my stories, it was like, oh, people want to hear my stories. How how did you start telling um, or writing poetry? How did that come in? Talk about voice. I had, as a quiet girl, I, I wrote in my journal. Like my journal was my saving grace. My journal was what kept me connected to my voice. It was what kept me connected to my humanity. Thank God I had journals. I wrote in my journal like a fiend because that's where I got to express my human truth. I couldn't express my human truth publicly, but I could share it in a journal. And and I wrote bad poetry. You know, I wrote angsty adolescent poetry, but then I started studying poetry and putting a little more care into my poetry, reading other poems. I started reading a lot of women poets and under starting to see the, the story of women in silence. I totally thought I was just this kind of weird, quiet girl. But I started reading more women's literature and, and looking at the, the larger story of women and speaking and seeing this, you know, this, this lineage, this legacy that I was part of, of, oh, women's voices have been silenced for centuries and, and kind of fitting myself into that story. And then it was like, oh, I have something to say. And it was through, as you mentioned in the opening, I was invited to, I lived in Kent, Ohio. I was, I don't know, let's see, it was, I was probably 27. I, was in the poetry community. I never read a poem out loud, but I would go to poetry readings. I was taking a poetry class at the university. And there was a 48-hour poetry celebration for the commemoration of the Kent State shootings. It was like the 20-year commemoration. And poets from all over the world sent, many of them traveled to read at these events, but many poets sent poems to be read by local poets. And I raised my hand. Like I said, I was always a good reader. So I raised my hand to read somebody else's poem. But when I got to the stage, they hadn't given me the poem yet. And I thought, oh, that's weird. They haven't given me the poem yet. I'm a pretty good cold reader. I'll do okay. But I said, hey, I haven't gotten the poem yet. And they said, oh, we thought you were reading your own poem. 
And I was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I write poetry, but I do not read it. I do not read it to people like that was just not on in my cards. And they said, well, you know, it's your turn at the mic. If you want to read a poem, you can read. So I had this stack of poems with me and I pulled one of them out and I read it. And it was a story of my experience of not speaking about my silence a lot of my poems at that time were about this story of silence i read this poem and it was like oh there's my voice and i could feel the room get quiet and the room lean in i could feel people hearing me it was palpable it was an amazing experience to hear my voice through the microphone fill the room and to feel a connection happening with the people who were listening, that I could actually stand at the mic and read my words and connect my words, my story, and connect with the people in the audience was phenomenal. And then people came up to me afterwards and said, that was an amazing poem. Thank you for sharing your story. That's my story too. And when I heard that, I was blown away because I was like, wait, what? You're kidding. And that really opened the door to, oh, my story is what I have to say. John, I have to interrupt just because I'm kind of amazed that you're coming out in a way speaking like that was on the topic of not speaking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's incredible. I mean, what what I discovered, you know, that big talk bubble, I have nothing to say. I realized the thing I had to say was right in the middle of that talk bubble. It was my story my story that I had nothing to say and how me telling that story opened the door for other people to say, yeah, me too. And then so it was what, like, Oh, I do have something to say. I have my story. What happened from there? Did you start becoming a, a poetry reading? I started. Yeah. Then I started <laughs> reading more of my poems. I would go to poetry readings. I started going to poetry slams and then I started working with adolescent girls, senior adults, a little bit later women in jail and working and and initially it was through poetry supporting these women and girls in telling their story through through poetry and seeing the power of that of like oh expressing your human truth is is transformational and necessary and yeah. that led to you know then i started doing that's that sort of led to then me doing more theater work and and identifying as a, as an artist as a performing artist doing theater and dance and spoken word and still working with incarcerated women adolescent girls and then I started there was started oh, let's see what was it I I started teaching a class to community adults in the community on building a solo performance. So I did that for many years, building a solo theatrical performance. With yourself and other people? With myself leading, yeah. Yeah, I was doing theater by that time. I was creating solo shows, always autobiographical storytelling. What a thread Um, that you're pulling through your life here about voice and presence. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. And so I was teaching this class for many years. It was called Fearless Solos. And somebody in my class was a kind of high-level corporate consultant. And she was in, invited to give a TEDx talk. And she asked if I could help her. And I was like, sure, I'll see what I can do. And at that point, I had no clue. I was a starving artist living on the fringe. I was a hippie. you know. I had no clue about the world of speaking. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll see what I can do. So I helped her. And I had, by that point, I had gotten an MFA in theater and I was in the theater world. And, and when I worked with her, it was like, oh, I have a lot to offer here. And that's when I hung my shingle as a public speaking coach and started working with business owners, entrepreneurs, bank executives, you know, and over and over finding that across the board, Across the board, people have parts of their voice that they have put on the back burner. Oh, absolutely. What stuffed away? Yeah. Where you in this um, in this scenario? How much doubt were you 
dealing with along the way, like, can I do this? Or was it really um, kind of just building on itself? I hear a story of really life building on itself and, you know, stretching in here and yeah. including that. Would you say, <laughs> was it a scary road? I understand the well, starving artist path. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's funny because at the beginning when I had this idea, oh, I can be a public speaking coach. That's cool. I, I hired a coach who helped me. He was also a theater person. He helped me translate my theater training into the business world. How does this apply? How do I apply all these years of theater training and study to helping somebody give a talk? He helped me build a business. How do I turn, how do I actually get clients? So he helped me with that. And I had been working with him for, I don't know, maybe six months or six or eight months. And, and there was a point where he said, now you have to, you got to go get some speaking gigs and go speak. And I was like, wait, you're kidding, right? I'm not a speaker. I can help people speak, but I'm not a speaker. I have nothing to say. And I face plant back in that old story of I have nothing to say. And I couldn't imagine myself getting on stage to speak. I could get on stage and do a theater piece. I could get on stage and tell a story, but to actually share ideas, this is this, that went back to then my feeling stupid as a young person. Like I didn't actually have authority to say any, to share ideas or share thinking. You know, I could tell a story, but I can't share thinking because I'm stupid, you know? So, so it went, it just face planted me, face planted me in that old story. And he was like, no, if you're going to be a coach, you got to get out there and speak yourself which terrified me. I was really literally <laughs> going to throw, it was like, well, then I can't do it. I can't do it. Cause I, I'm not a speaker. So here's what happened. Yeah. Literally that next day or not, that weekend, I was doing a marketing workshop. It was at some free Boulder startup week week. And I did this marketing workshop and it was a two day workshop. And the second day we were supposed to come back and uh, write a Twitter pitch. So we had to be able to say, the value you deliver in 140 characters. And I did it. I toiled over getting it down to 140 characters. And a couple of other, you know, so then the next day we all got up and did our Twitter pitch. And a couple of people talked and they went on and I was like, they didn't follow the rules. I was so mad because <laughs> people talked longer than 140 characters. But I did my Twitter pitch. Bam. You know, it was just sharp and clear, and I worked really hard on it. And afterwards, somebody came up to me and said, "Do you? Can you come speak to our group?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem. I'd love to." Then I went home and like hung my head over the toilet for two months in terror, wanting to just like throw up. That is such a good story. Partly with the, (laughs) you know, I'm always so curious about what serendipity. uh, What are these moments that kind of fall into our laps after we've you know, come so far, yeah, but yeah. here's somebody saying, Hey, would you come and do this? Right. You were actually yeah. asked. So to exactly. me, I see that and, as this and I, and universal. I like to say, when I tell this story, what I like to say is p- part of it is, yeah, the serendipity because I put my, because I yeah. put myself out and I said, yes, this is the value I deliver. Somebody heard me and then invited me to speak, but also because I did it concisely, those people who wambled on and on about what they do, at first, I felt like they, jealous because they got more airtime, but actually because my pitch was sharp and short and concise, that's when people hear your value, when you really get it to that, that level. So a couple lessons there in that story. <laughs> definitely, definitely more. I think we could unpack it even further, but I, I, I do love that, yeah, you were there doing your thing. You did your homework. You got it concise. And also the universe then showed up, right? I think so yeah. So often we think we have to do it all ourselves, but you did it and then the universe came back. And uh, I love what you're saying about the concise stuff too. I, yeah. Um, do you, yeah. when you listen to other people tell stories, do you ever in your mind, are you ever editing? Are you ever going, okay, let's take some words out? I mean, do you, when you listen, what's it like <laughs> to listen to people telling stories? Well, I definitely, you know, and it depends on the situation. I love getting just lost in a story, a good story. I think I hear a lot of people tell stories in, in a talk. There's so much hype out there about telling stories and everybody says, tell a story, tell a story. You got to tell stories. And 
I think so many people get that message wrong and they they think they have to tell their whole life story and they go on and on about all the twists and turns in their life and and it's just like please I don't care about your story. You know, and and so that's what I help people find the story that's really relevant to your audience. It's it's never really telling a story at least in the context of speaking, giving a talk, delivering value, sharing a big idea. Your story, your audience doesn't really care about your story. They want to know how it's relevant to them. They want to know how it opens the door to their own story. They want to know how it's going to make their life better. So there's always positioning your story, telling the story, knowing who's in your audience and being able to tell the story so that it's relevant to them, so that your audience cares. It wants to hear the end, you know? So a lot of times I just kind of tune out when they're telling a story because I was like, okay, they're going to talk about themselves for a while and then I'll tune back in when they get to the content, unless it's a great, a well-told story, you know? Then I'm going to, I'm on the edge of my seat. I got, what, what's one of your really personal stories? Because I can think of one that I saw you um, speak about um, not having kids and I just loved that talk. And yeah. when you said, when you're speaking right there about um, speaking, you know, people are listening when we're speaking to how it's relevant for them. And yet you have gone into some really deeply personal stories yeah. that yeah. are truth-telling moments, right? How do you right. put those, how do those, those two things come together for you? Because I think, yes, tell the, tell the, in, the, in that talk, I say, tell the story that takes you to the edge. The story that you feel shame about is in most cases going to be a story that somebody needs to hear. But it's very important when telling the story is to find the universal theme, like find the, the universal, um, how do I say it? It's not really about you message. Or, so you can yeah. tell a very personal story, but it's very important that there are doorways and openings for your audience to find their story. So in that talk, I tell a very personal story, but I also put it in context of, you know, when you tell a story that when we tell our stories, it's how we untie the knot of oppression. It's how we, how we uh, heal, how we transform. And you know, so I think when you can tell your very personal story, but also put it in the context of the universal theme, that's what makes it relevant to your audience. Oh man, I'm so ready to uh, work with you. <laughs> I love I love putting those the the deeply personal and the finding some kind of universal message without without contorting, right? Yeah, without contorting yeah. it, without like, and now the, the, the moral yeah. of the story is, and what I learned that day is this. And ever since then, you know, you don't have to wrap it up in a bow with a neat, tidy ending and a moral of the story. And so that's, I think, where the finesse comes in. It's like, how, how, do, you, how do you offer it as a gift where there are many, you know, a different person coming to you from a different place on their journey, they're going to find different ways into your story. They're going to find different meanings. So you have to tell the story in a way that's like, here's a doorway, here's a doorway, here's a doorway to the universal. You know, what comes to me is that I read a lot of um, fiction and one of the genres I read is uh, young reader and... Oh, me too. I love it. I love it. And Sometimes it'll go kind of more, I call it, oh, went a little moralistic where it's kind of like, yep, yep. Oh, don't, don't tell me how to be a better citizen, please. Not in that yeah. paragraph. I really can't go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you said it, I thought that's to me good writing when I read a book yeah. and all of a sudden I'm connected with all these things inside myself, but it wasn't poured down my throat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love hearing and about that's, that. That's, you know, the other way, the other context in which I hear a lot of stories is through the story slam I produce. Yeah. So there's a theme for the night. People from the audience come to the stage. They put their name in the hat. They come to the stage and tell a story based on the theme. And those stories, so that's, I definitely do a lot of coaching while I'm listening to those stories. And, and uh, 
because I've heard so many stories and I just really know I can find the gem. I can find the gem in it and like, okay, that's it. Let's turn it there. Let's, let's lift it up here. Let's tweak it there. It's so that the story really pops. So, but the story slam story is very different because there is no message. Story slam, a story for that is really just for entertainment. And it's, its container is the theme. There's a theme for the night and that's kind of the container. So there's always a transformation. The thing that makes a story a story is there's a transformation. There's a change. Something is different at the end than it was at the beginning. But that doesn't mean, I always say the story can show, like show me the transformation without telling me. Paint a picture paint a picture for me of what was different afterwards, paint a picture of what was possible afterwards, paint a picture of how you were changed, but don't lay it out in a like, you know, like I said, and the moral of the story is. Yeah. How, how vulnerable do you think we need to be as speakers for it to really connect? um, Well, what we're saying in the moment with the moment, you know, what's the role of vulnerability in all this? Well, I think vulnerability is key. But that doesn't mean, I think people get confused that vulnerability means talking about all my deep, dark secrets, you know, and my childhood trauma, that to be vulnerable means I have to talk about my childhood trauma. And that could be fine. You know, sometimes talking about your childhood trauma is really necessary and relevant and a way to connect with your audience. But I think vulnerability really is just showing your humanity, being, showing your imperfection how, where are the places where you struggle, where you're not perfect? And how does that, how did that, you know, lead to a story? Like I'm a, I can think of a story from the story slam. The first line was, I'm a, I'm a neat freak, I think. And then it's, you know, that's, that's right there is vulnerable because you're showing a little obsessive pattern of like, okay, I'm a neat freak. And then we hear this story about how this person's neat freakness led to some adventure, you know, how it showed up. And right there in that line, I'm a neat freak, we get, that's vulnerable, you know? And so Mm -hmm. that's the level of vulnerability that I want to see. I think, as I said, people get confused. Like, I mean, vulnerable means I got to talk about my trauma, but really it's just about where are the little cracks, the cracks that, you know, that I can see your imperfection and your humanity and your neuroses, you know, and how does that show up? Because then what that what happens then is your audience, me and the audience, then I can relate to you. Oh, this is somebody I can relate to. Oh, this person's real. This person's the real deal. They're actually human being. They're not some like perfect God that I can't. When you work with people like right on that in terms of, uh, you know, what a good story for you really is and, and this humanity angle and imperfections and um, showing people um, the transformation and so they can feel it and taste it and all of this. Do people, when they feel like they've given a speech or a talk, a story, told a story, whatever, publicly, and when they share with you what their experience was like, do they talk about it more in terms of, I think, how do they talk about it? Is it is it more like, um, I feel different having told it, I'm not as scared now, like I feel stronger or is it more is it more uh, the experience of what the audience was doing as they were, you know, how it was landing and there, the impact of that. I'm just, I'm just curious, what's that like for people yeah, that are just kind of learning and getting the groove on a little bit? What I hear a lot. So in my program, the program that I lead craft your talk, it ends in an event where people get, they, they work on crafting a talk and then they get to deliver their talk at the end. Right. So one it's, you know, to have that, that date on the calendar to get on stage, they get their talk written. They get it done because there's a date on the calendar. You know, They can't stay in the process forever. So they get it on the calendar, they give the talk. And at the end, a lot of what I hear is, I can't believe I did that. You know, they, they, they do something they didn't know they could do. So often it's, it's about the personal transformation mm-hmm. and the leap that they took that they did something they didn't know they could do. They wrote a talk they didn't know they could write. They were able to tell a story that is meaningful to them. 
and, and, and get feedback from the audience, get, see that there's response from the audience, have a good, have an experience of connection. Just like that time I read my poem and my story landed and it was like, what? People actually want to hear that? So I think it's a combination. It's definitely the, the, big, the big feedback I get after that is people say, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I did a thing I didn't know I could do. I love it. I just absolutely love it. And I think those experiences are never forgotten uh, by us as people. When we've actually done something, we go, I can't yeah. believe I did it. I think they're, they're special. They're, they're bright lights in the, if we look back on our life, the moment when we gave that talk and it, and it happened. So I and see. Then, because then you get to do the next thing once you've done that. Like I said, people come to me to help them craft a talk. But once they do it and they get on stage and deliver it, then it's like anything is possible. If I can do that, oh my God, I can do anything. And then they find taking big leaps in other areas of their life, taking risk in other areas of their life. And if we put the lens a little bigger, just looking at the culture, society, and say liberation, because you you have a great quote about um well, I'm gonna read this quote: women and speaking, women in silence. Yeah. Every voice that comes out of hiding contributes to the story of liberation. Mm. So we've got that side of, oh my God, I did something I didn't know, you know, I didn't think I could do. But what's the liberation? How is this adding up in the world? You know, how is this changing yeah. the world? Yeah. I think because when we speak, oh, you know, I gotta say, I say it so beautifully <laughs> in the in the talk <laughs> about not having children, because that talk is is about not having children, but what it's really about is the power of speaking. It's really about the power of telling your story, because when you do tell the story, you open up the door for someone else to tell theirs. And then when she tells her story, she opens the door for someone to tell hers. And that's how the knot gets untied, the knot of oppression. The threads, we pull apart the threads of what keeps us silent and alone. When we're silent and alone, transformation can't happen. The world isn't going to change when we keep our stories to ourselves, when we keep our brilliance to ourselves. But once we speak it, once we take that risk to speak it, that's how we start untying the knot and finding that we're not alone. And the minute we're not alone, anything is possible. The minute we know we're not alone, we can do anything. You know, I think we get stuck in our aloneness and our isolation, and then we get stuck in our stories. And once you start, yeah, telling your story and seeing that other people share it, then it's like, oh, and you know, we get we get bigger. We all get bigger when we get connected. So story, I'll get bigger. Yes, and what I'm also hearing you say is that storytelling is a really essential is an essential direct way of breaking our sense of isolation. Yes. I hear you saying that. And it's yes. so relevant right now. Yes. It's always relevant. Yes. yes. We suffer so much yes. from that even before the COVID. I mean, we all know oh, that. But yes. all right. Yes. So so it it breaks that sense of isolation. And then you say we help open doors by our speaking. Um, we're opening doors for other people because other people, yeah, what I hear you saying is they walk through with us and then they say, right. Well, I can. I can do that. Is it kind of like I can do that? Or is it like, I need to do this because it's so important? Is it? Well, I think, you know, when I, it, I share this story in, in that talk, I, I was going through, you know, I was in my late forties. I figured out I wasn't had a, I wasn't going to have kids. I had a lot of grief and shame around that because I had wanted kids. And I heard Jody Day speak she spoke about her story of not having children. And I was like, what? Somebody else? And she's speaking about it publicly? She's, you know, for me, it was a very private story. It's a very private journey. And when I heard her speak, I was like, oh my God, I have that story to tell. So that's when I gave that talk. And since giving that talk, so many women have reached out to me and said, thank you for that talk. Like, it, it helped me talk to my family about my struggle. It helped me share what I've been up against, you know. And, and so I think when we're willing to share our stories, you know, yeah, it creates space for somebody else to share theirs. It makes, helps other people feel less alone. It helps, it helps me feel less alone. 
I love it. And, you know, I wanted to ask you about who is really, what stories have you heard that have changed, you know, the next step for you? And it sounds like you're saying Jody Day um, yeah. was one of those people. Are there other people as you were, that you've heard speak that, that gave you, gave you more impetus, more strength to go further than you had? Was it, do you, do you have other people that you can name or is it It'd be harder to name. Like she was definitely one where I can really point to hearing that talk opened a door very clearly. Since then, I've heard some other amazing talks, certainly, and some other amazing stories. I can't say one that that had that level of impact, of direct impact. In this moment, I'd have to think a little. I'd have to dig a little for that. What, what, when you're, when you meet people and can you give us an example of someone you've worked with recently who isn't necessarily going to be speaking for a living, isn't necessarily, but needs to find their voice. Like it's just a problem. They're, <laughs> you know, they're not functioning the way they want to function. Yeah. Um, do you have a story? Do you have any a thing you can share with I, us? Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I've been working with a, a young man who's, I think he's in his, early mid thirties, maybe. And he has, was invited to officiate as at his best friend's wedding. So not just give a toast, but officiate, hold the whole wedding. And he's utterly terrified. Public speaking is not his thing. His thing. It makes, he said, I feel elephants sitting on my chest. When I think about public speaking, I feel a whole herd of elephants sitting on my chest. And so I've been working with him for the last couple of months in connecting to his power and his personality and his, his love. I mean, it's so beautiful because uh, like I said, often I work with business owners and I work with people who definitely have a, have a business that's tied to a mission. They want to have impact in the world. They want to change the world in, in powerful ways with their ideas, with their expertise. And often it's tied to a business. So it's been such a delight <laughs> for me. It's always a delight to work with my clients, you know, but this has been really different because he's just doing it for love. He's doing it for love. And he's made this big investment in, in taking this on, taking on this challenge that he's had for his whole life so that he can give this gift to his friend so that he can honor that request and hold the wedding with confidence and heart. So it's just been such a thrill. He's local, so we've gotten together in person, and we've just been playing. And midway through the process, a friend shared, kind of out of the blue, a friend shared an article about elephants, the playfulness of elephants. So we took that image that he had been talking about, the elephants sitting on his chest, Mm -hmm. and got those elephants to play. And so... We've been doing a lot to just kind of crack open those patterns, crack loose those the confinement of his fear so that more of him and more of his light can shine through. And it's a lot of what I do in Speaker's Playground. Speaker's Playground is another program that I lead that is we don't do content development. We just do practice and play and and breaking those patterns, growing the confidence and comfort to get out there and speak. And so it's been fun to do the speaker's playground material with one person because then we can just we can just improvise and try stuff. And, you know, it, it's been so fun. And I will say at, at his the wedding is in, I haven't heard the result yet. The wedding is in a week. By the time this podcast airs, we will have the we will know oh how my it gosh, goes. Johanna. <laughs> you know, I just I'm I'm just kind of sweating just imagining his position because I can imagine being in that um myself. Not that um maybe to that degree, but I, I can put myself in that position. And so much of what I do with people, I think this is partly I've always loved being around you and your work and just you in general, but um so much of what I do is help people come out of hiding, you know, through creativity. And, mm-hmm. um, and I see, um, a lot of suffering going on in the hiding and, you know, where we feel like we're going to die with the magic inside. And mm-hmm. so I'm yeah. listening to you and even this fellow, right. With the wedding, 
he wants to be able to come up with this. You know, he wants to be able to have this come through. I, I almost can give me tears because you say it's humanity, right? This is how, you know, expressing our humanity. And I, I hear almost love or God that he does know he has something to give and he doesn't want to sit on it like, and, or be sat yeah. on. He wants to be free. Yeah. So is that your sense too, that there it, it's, it's great. It's great for helping us empower ourselves and all these things we've been, you've been talking about, you know, the impact on people who want to share their message with the world. And also I, I just love coming back to this humanity idea though, for you is like, how much do you think, how much suffering do we experience when we're not really sharing ourselves in this way, speaking, having a voice? I, I think it's, it's so individual. We all find ways to make sense of being human. And I think it can, you know, for some people, there's a longing. Mm -hmm. There's an ancient longing that they, they long to speak and they long to show up in bigger ways. They long for it. And, and, and then when they do, it's, it, it's, if I think for most people, it's not an overnight thing. It's a journey. You know, we're on a journey to, to meet that longing. I think for some people, I, some people, they don't realize, I think this is true for a lot of people, is they don't realize how much they're missing, how much of their voice they're missing, how much of their humanity is actually in hiding until they take the leap and get it out there. They, you know, they, we're going through the world thinking, oh yeah, I'm fine. This is cool. I got this. I'm, I'm creative. I'm, I'm expressive. I'm, and then once they take the next step or they take a leap into an uncomfortable place, they try something they didn't know they could do. Then it's like, oh, wait a second. There's so much more that I have that I didn't even know I was missing. I think we've, I've heard it, you've heard it probably so many times. It's like our potential is so much greater than what we're, what we're, most of us are, are pulling off. And I think so much of that is tied up in the voice. So once you start to, I think it's true for myself in my, my, my business, when I kind of took that leap as a speaker, cause I had, I was, I was making theater. I was doing a lot of creative work on the stage as a theater artist. And I was like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm fully expressed. I got this. And then when I started speaking, when I had that, I have nothing to say, I'm not a speaker. And I went past, past that story and got on stage in a speaker as a speaker. Then it's like, Oh, wait a second. There's so much more here that I didn't even know I was missing. And I think that's true for each leap we take, for each new stage we get on. There's like depths of more that we haven't accessed yet. Isn't that cool? And to be in this field where you can uh, partner with people in that, like you say, journey, because it is yeah. all these different um, layers and experiences that, continue. It's not just like you have the one experience and then you're done. And, um, can I ask you before we're coming to close here a little bit, but I, is there a time when you failed miserably at speaking? <laughs> I would love to hear it when I failed, or, you know, just you were miserably. sweating so bad because you were nervous or the lights were shining so strong. You couldn't see out. Yeah. I mean, that stuff happens or you couldn't remember I, even what you were even there to do. I'm just how imperfect, you know, yeah. cause it's risky getting up there. Right. It is. It is. Well, two things come to mind mostly like be, because I'm an, I think because I'm an improviser and so much of my theater training and experience was improvisation and really, really developing that muscle of being present in the moment of showing up in the moment. And that's a lot of what we do in speakers play playground is train that muscle of being present in the moment. So when I'm on stage, even if something's not going the way I planned, I'm still really present in the moment. So in the end, it's not a failure because I have trained that muscle of showing up no matter what, of being present in the moment, no matter what. That said, I'll tell you two quick stories. <laughs> One is <laughs> I, I, um, I, I was, when I started my business, I don't know, eight or nine, eight years ago now, I, I lose track, but I started, excuse me, I started offering these free classes and that was how I, I, uh, I would make my offer to my programs in these three free classes. And I would get 50 people to come to the free class. So I felt like I know how to fill a room. 
And for a while, the class was called How to Turn Fear of Public Speaking into Power and Presence. Mm -hmm. And I got so many people to come to those classes. Then I started kind of shifting my offerings a little bit. I was learning a lot more about how to speak to convert, how to speak to really get a yes from your audience and to really get your audience to, to say yes to your offer and to hire you or whatever your call to action was to get, to get audiences to say yes. I was like, oh, I, I can fill a room and I can convert a room. So I started shifting my offering and shifting that free class and I titled it I can't quite remember what the, but it was something like how to grow a massive following through public speaking. I changed the title of the free class to how to grow a massive following through public speaking. And I, this is so embarrassing. I, <laughs> so I hold this class, how to grow a massive following through public speaking. And three people show up. Oh, I love that. And so here I am. Here I am. I'm ready to teach my audience how to grow a massive following. And I've got three people in the room. And it was just like, oh, so embarrassing. <laughs> That's but a great story. I showed up. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I showed up and I led, I led those people, you know, and maybe three came in late. So maybe there were six people by the end, you know, but it was like, definitely not a massive following. But I was like, okay, I got to do this. And I still showed up and I delivered to those people. One of those people became my client. Yeah. So it's like, I think the lessons there for me are here I am going like, and the lesson of the story is just as I said, don't do. But, <laughs> but, you know, if you really show up with the present with what's happening, you still get to make connections. I still converted one of those people into into a client. And the other thing is, like, do, do tell the story that is true to you. Do your brilliance. Don't do what you think somebody else wants you to do. Like, I was sort of thinking, like, I had to go in this direction of growing a massive following and tell you how, to, you know, this is what everybody wants is to grow a massive following. But it, it's not really where my expert, where my zone of genius is, you know? Like, I love the story. We could, there's, um, yes. I just remember I was at, um, I had traveled across country to be part of a, a music festival and I happened to be scheduled right at the same time, totally unknown, uh, in a, like in Michigan or something. I don't know where even know where I was. No, I was at Illinois. And there was a really big name at the same time. And, uh, you know, I had like three people in the room and it was all these seats. Uh. And I just went for it. And I have to tell you, that's one of those things that I remember yeah. of feeling really good that I went for it. Like I knew that I, yeah. I did as good as I could. Yeah. And I carry from that a strength and a sense of power of what I can do. And I yeah. will not be, yeah. I will not be foiled. So even in sharing that, um, I think it just speaks to the power of showing up and that we don't yeah, forget it. Totally. It makes such an impact. Johanna, what a gift. I can't wait to work with you in the future. And also uh, we're going to put all your links to your beautiful offerings in the uh, notes to the podcast. So people should be able to get in touch with you about any of these things, the speaker's playground, the craft, your talk, the uh, story slams, the one-on-one, -on -one, all that stuff. So is there anything you want to end with? Or are you good? Oh, I, I, you know, I started to say this when a few minutes back and we went in a different direction, but yeah. when we were talking just about connection and isolation, I just want to say the other thing that has been for me, the, the gold of the pandemic was the race stories project that I've been doing through the story slam that, you know, we, we started, I think it was, it was right after George Floyd was murdered. I really wanted to do a slam on the theme of race. And I thought, well, I can't just like hand the mic to people and have them talk about race. That could be a disaster and could do more harm. So I gathered a group of people together, a mixed race group of people. And we spent eight weeks together digging into stories about race. It was the most powerful thing for everybody to really use stories to build connection, to build relationship, and then to share those stories on a public stage. And so I think stories, we've talked about stories on so many levels, like they can be really powerful to 
you know, if you're trying to get a message across that is connected to your business, if you want to make a connection to sell your offer, you know, to, to be able to deliver value to your audience through the work that you do, a story is a great way to connect. And on a, on a personal level, it's a way to transform your own, you know, to do your own healing as a gift to your audience. And I think through this race stories project, it's stories are a way to, to build bridges and make connections and build relationships. And that's how we untie the knot. That's how we transform the oppression that keeps us silent and alone. You know, I, I saw that stories. when you, when it went, you know, when you all presented that group. Yeah. And it, I still remember very strong impact. And that points back to me to what we were talking about. What I was thinking of is the suffering or whatever, when we hide that, when we speak all of a sudden, um, I felt doors opening for me and that I felt some of yeah. these people wouldn't necessarily or hadn't necessarily shared on this level publicly before. Yeah. And yeah. that made, that was a level of vulnerability, but also they were obviously comfortable. They were ready to do it. Mm-hmm. That made a huge mm-hmm. impact. And I felt like, my God, these are the stories. This is the most interesting stuff. Yeah that's yeah. out there to listen to. And it's just real people speaking their yeah. gig and that, you know, they've crafted stories. There was a story. Yeah. Yeah, everyone has a story. So thank you for ending with that. I'm glad you pointed us to that. Are, are you doing that project? We're continue? doing it again. We're doing it this fall. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'll be on there too. Thank you, Johanna. Well, thank you so much, Julie. You're welcome. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my ongoing Friday online gathering, The Creative Cure for Anxious Times, where for 75 minutes each Friday, we follow our intuition and play with pen, paper, paint, whatever creative materials you have on hand as a way of coming back into alignment with life and the moment. It's very healing and a whole lot of fun. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching with creatives, both on my website, Paint Big live big.com.